Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. How you doing this morning? Oh, you could do a little better than that. How you doing this morning? All right, all right. Look at someone next to you. Say, you look good today. All right, all right. So, hey, everyone online, I'm so glad that you're with us um, and uh, you're joining with us together. I, we've got to get some energy in this room. Like, we are a spirit-filled church that loves to worship. Hi, Micah and Christine. Uh, it's uh, so good to see uh, faces. I see a lot of new people. Welcome to our church. Uh, we're a church where it's okay to not be okay, where you can come as you are. And it's my prayer, our prayer, is that uh, you are changed by the grace of Jesus. Amen? I also want to say uh, hello to my wife. Brienne is, um, is in Illinois. Uh, she's actually, she just texted me. She said she's watching online right now. If you could pray for her, pray for us and our family. Uh, her uh, grandmother uh, is uh, in hospice right now in, uh, in, in, in the last days of her life. And so uh, Brienne is there watching online with her dad. So Brienne, we love you. We're praying for you. Uh, and uh, I just want to say that for all of you, if you do have prayer requests, we actually pray for you. <laughs> well, they don't just go in some box somewhere. Uh, they don't just get uh, disseminated to, to, to nobody. I mean, we pray as a staff for you because we believe in the power of prayer. And uh, so we want to partner in prayer with you. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. We're in a series called The Journey Home. The journey home, finding your way back to God. The reality is this. There are times and seasons in our life, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been at church, doesn't matter your age, there are moments in your life and our life where we feel far and distant from God. Has anybody gone through a season where you feel distant from God or he feels distant from you? There are moments like that in our life. And even as a pastor, I've been in a season, coming out of a season uh, where I felt kind of distant from from God in my journey uh, is uh, th this finding your way home, your best spirit, your best home, uh, the place that you are most at rest and most secure and most peaceful is at home with Jesus. It is your spiritual home. And I have found so much comfort in the life of Moses because Moses is making his way, his journey home, finding his way back to God. If you're new and you're joining us and you haven't been with us, let me just give you the first three weeks of this. What we have discovered is that the first one is this, that finding your way back to God is knowing your story. And if anyone knows their story really well, it's Moses. How do we know that? Because Moses wrote the book of Exodus. All right, he wrote his own story. And he didn't leave out the, the, the difficult parts, the dysfunctional parts of his life. If it was me, I might leave out that, the fact that I killed an Egyptian. All right, I would not put that one in there. He knows his story. He knows his childhood, the dysfunction of growing up without his biological parents. And uh, he knows what it's like to, to have a death warrant on his head. Moses grows up in dysfunction in the first 40 years of his life. And then he goes out into the desert. And the second thing to find your way back to God is to embrace the seasons that he has you in. And the truth is this, is that God often works the, the, the most in, and does the most in your life in the desert seasons. All right. It's not when everything's going well, it's when everything's going bad. Are you with me? It's when you follow Jesus, allow him to walk with you in those seasons. Last week was the story of the burning bush. And, uh, and we learned this, that finding your way back to God is paying attention to the activity of God. And in our culture, we pay attention to a lot of different things. 
All right, we, 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 we pay attention to the news, we pay attention to our social media accounts, we pay attention to a lot, but are we paying attention to the activity of God? Moses, the Bible says this, that Moses turned aside when he saw the fire. He didn't have to go, but he turned aside. It says God saw that he turned aside, and then God spoke through the bush. It's paying attention to the things of God. Today, I will give you my point right up front that finding the way back to God is following his call on your life. It is following his call on your life. Everything we've been reading about in the life of Moses is leading up to this call that he has to lead Israel out of Egypt. And so we're going to start and get up on the screen. Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, this is after the burning bush or during the burning bush. Uh, Exodus 3.10. This is what it says. It says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So everything that Moses has experienced is leading him to this point. To this point. And today I want to talk about calling. And I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm not going to read a, a, a big portion of the text all at once. I'm going to read uh, five different portions of it because I want to bring out five different excuses that Moses makes to deny his calling by God. Uh, I, I'm calling, the title of my message is Lies Wrapped in Reason. Howard Wright says this, that excuses are lies wrapped in reason. And as I was thinking about this week and thinking about my message and thinking about Moses, I wonder how many of us have been called by God to do something, but we get a lot, give a lot of excuses to not do what God has asked us to do. Well, an excuse is a lie that is wrapped in reason. And Moses gives five excuses, five lies wrapped in reason. He, five denials of his calling Moses gives to God. It's this interesting interaction between God and Moses. I want to talk about calling for a moment before we jump further into to the text. The, the, the calling is important in your life. You realize that. Everyone has a calling by God. Everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a pre-Christian. Everyone has a calling by God. God has placed a call on your life, individual. Let me talk, call, calling is multidimensional. The first aspect of calling is that God has called you to be somebody. He's called you to be a son of God, a daughter of God. He's called you to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are called to be. I did an entire series called uh, Divine Discernment, talking about the will of God. Anybody remember that series? And, and we, we discovered this, that God's will for us is more about character than it is about our competency or what we are called to do. Are you, are you with me? Be, because it says the will of God on your life, the Bible says, is for you to be holy. All right, it's to be holy. It's about character. And so I spent a lot of time developing that, that God's call in our life is to be. But today I want to talk about the second half of our calling, is that is to do. And it always goes be to do because your calling of what you're called to do comes out of who you are. Are you with me? And so Moses encounters God in the burning bush. He experiences God's holiness and God gives him something to do. So there are three aspects of your calling that I want to talk about. The first one is this, is that your calling is impossible. <laughs> 
You're call, if God calls you to do something, it's impossible. Why do I say that? Because God does not like to call his people to do possible things. Because it's very easy for us to confuse our own gifts and talents with the divine power of God working through us. God does not call you to do things that you are already equipped for. He calls you to do things that you are disqualified for. He calls you to do things that you have no business doing. In fact, if you think the calling of God on your life is possible, then it's probably not God's calling. Because he calls us to do things that are impossible. The second thing is this, is that the calling of God is irrevocable. In Romans, it says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. If God has placed something on your heart, until that's fulfilled, that thing is going to nag you the rest of your life. It's not going away. You might stuff it down, and you might try to bury it, but it's still going to be there. In fact, let me say this, that your life is going to be restless until you fulfill the calling of God in your life. And maybe some of you are in that season. You're like, I don't know what to do with my life. And you feel restless. Maybe you're working in the career that you were educated for, but you don't feel fulfilled in that. That maybe God has something more for you. And the last thing about calling before we jump into the Bible is this, is that uh, calling, there's diversity in our calling. A calling can look a thousand different ways. But it all has elements of this. It all has elements of loving God, of serving his church, of, of, uh, uh, of spreading the gospel and telling people about Jesus. Your calling has to do with building the kingdom of God, but it can look a thousand different ways. And so Moses gets this calling by God to lead two million people out of Egypt, Israelites, into the promised land. That's a big calling. Moses hasn't led any, he's led some sheep. That's his qualification. All right, he's been a shepherd and God calls him to lead people. And, and Moses has five excuses, five denials, five questions. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you the five denials of Moses, but, but I have it as a question because and each question that Moses has of God, it's rooted in his own insecurity and own self-doubt. And so the, how I've organized my message today is that there's a question uh, Moses asks of God, but it's really of himself. There, there's a feeling attached to the question. One thing I've tried to do in the story of Moses is bring out the feelings behind the text. And then there's God's answer. And so we're going to look at each one of these. We're going to start in verse 11, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Here, here's what the word of the Lord says. But God, or but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The first, thing, question, uh, the first question that Moses asked is, who am I? This is a question of his identity. It's a question of my identity. Who am I? What a loaded question. We know from Moses' past, why would God choose him to do this specific task? Why would God choose Moses to lead Two million people out. We know that Moses had a dysfunctional childhood that ended in murder. I guarantee if you murdered someone, you would feel disqualified too. And he hid the body. 
right? He covered it up. And then he ran away. And he's been away from Egypt for 40 years. And he's got a new life and he's got a new wife. He's got a family, all right? He's got, he, he's got kids. He's got the house, right? He's got the white picket fence. He's been in, Israel, or in Midian for 40 years. Everything is going well and God begins to ruin his life. I think this question of who am I, I think it leads to the self-discovery of our identity. In fact, this could be the most self-aware thing that Moses actually says. I, t I told you his first self-awareness discovery is when he named his son Gershom. And Gershom means I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. Finally, Moses, you just woke up and realized you're, you're, you're a foreigner. You're, you have nothing. This is the, the second one, is who am I? And, and you know what's interesting? Moses is 100% right. You're nobody. Nobody knows you anymore. You're not important anymore. Yeah, you lived in Pharaoh's household, but you've been gone for 40 years. A generation has passed away. Nobody cares about you. You know, sometimes we think we're bigger deal than we actually are, but when we're gone and when we leave, people move on. And so Moses, Mo Moses, who am I? Exactly, you're, you're nobody. That's the point. That's exactly God's point, is that you are, you are nothing and you are nobody. But that's why I want to use you. He could have used Pharaoh. He could have used somebody else, but he chose to use Moses. And the feeling behind this identity is, I feel insignificant. I feel insignificant. Yet God seems to get pleasure of using people like Moses. Listen, I've been at this church for eight and a half year, years, and if there has been a consistent message that I've tried to convince you of, it is this. It is that God chooses to use people like you and I who are broken, dysfunctional, and pain and go through trials in our life. And he chooses to do, use us for his glory. He does not take those people who have it all together. They've got the style. They've got the looks. They've got the intellect. They, they, they've got everything. No, no, no. He takes people like you and I where we question, who am I? Who am I that I would do this? A lot of people question their identity. In fact, I would say this. It is okay to question your identity of who you are. It is okay. But the problem is we live in a culture that wants to affirm you in the dysfunctional identities that we have. Are you with me? We have a culture that wants to affirm the dysfunction. If, if, if Moses would have listened to culture today and he would say, who am I? He would have went back to Midian with his tail between his legs and he wouldn't have been the man that we read about today. Because he doesn't feel like doing the things that God wants him to do. And our culture says, well, if you don't feel it, then don't do it. Or if you feel it, then do it. Aren't you glad we have a faith that isn't based on feelings? We have a faith that's based on the word of God. And sometimes the word of God goes against our feelings. That's what's so ironic about this whole thing. But we want a truth that affirms our feeling, but the Bible won't. The Bible is the eternal word of God. 
And so we often feel insignificant. We often feel uh, and question our identity. Please hear me. It is not wrong to question your identity. What's wrong is to allow culture to shape those questions of your identity. It's not wrong to question who you are. It's not wrong to question uh, what, what you're doing. It, it, it's not wrong to question the core parts of your identity. What's wrong is allowing culture to affirm those things. And God's answer to Moses is this, is I will be with you. I will be, who am I? Exactly, nobody. But I will be with you every step of the way. I'm going to be with you. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. And I am with you on the journey. Let's look at the next one. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. The second denial of Moses. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go to the elders and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what, you have, what have done, has been done to you in Egypt. The second question is this. It's a question of my authority. Moses asked God, his first question is, who am I? His next question is, who are you? Because Moses isn't going to go to the elders of Israel without having some sense of authoritative voice in his life. You just don't do that. You, you've got to have authority. You've got to have authority. Moses wants permission. Who is it that is sending me? Now, now by the way, if you're just joining this series, let me remind you, at this point, Moses is so confused about his faith and his identity. He was born a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian. And in the Egyptian culture, it's polytheistic. You worship many gods. So I would assume, and the Midianites are not followers of God, of, 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 of the Lord. And so we can assume that Moses is just as confused as anybody in his faith. And so his question is, well, who are you? You're... you're you're a bush, all right? Uh, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna look crazy that, that you're a bush and, and a bush spoke to me. I mean, j just think about that. If you never read the Bible and someone came to you and said, so, somebody spoke to me. Well, what was this? Well, it was a bush that was on fire. I mean, you'd send them to the psychiatric ward at the hospital. And so Moses is saying, I, I need your name if I'm gonna do this. And the feeling behind it is this, is I feel inadequate. I feel inadequate. I don't have authority. Who, who are you that's going to give me authority? I feel inadequate. And God's answer is so simple. He says, I am. It, it, and this, this so personal encounter that God has with Moses is that God gives him his, his personal name. The personal name of God is, the Hebrew word is, does anybody know it? Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. -H. There's no vowels in the Hebrew language originally written. So it's Y-H-W-H, -H, 
Yahweh. And Yahweh is in third person throughout the Bible. By the way, if you're new to the Bible, wherever you see the, the word the Lord and it's capitalized, that's the word Yahweh. That's so that we understand when we're reading it, we're not just reading the word God, which is a generic word, Elohim, because there are many Elohims that are listed in the Bible, false Elohims. He uses the word Yahweh, Lord. So wherever you see the word Lord capitalized, it is the word Yahweh, and it is in third person. But this I am who I am is in first person. And it's like God has given him this personal name. I, I am. Now, the importance of God's name is not in the words. It's actually in the meanings of the word. I, I am. So, some, some people, translators, say that, that you could translate this as I will be who I will be. Or you could translate it as I will create what I create. The point is this, is that the meaning of the word I am is that everything is wrapped up in God. That he is above all, that, that, that he is over all, that he has all authority, that he has everything, that nothing compares to him. He is the one true God, that he is absolutely everything. He is creator. He is sustainer. And to Moses, he says, I am everything you need and more. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. And Yahweh's name likely had been forgotten for Israel's time in captivity. 480 years they were in captivity. They most likely forgot the name Yahweh. And so God reminds Moses, this is my name. Go to the, the, the elders of Israel and tell them my name, Yahweh. Yahweh. Here's what's interesting. Let me, let me make a connection between the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. A, a lot of times we talk about the, the, that they feel different, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people argue that, that God seems different in both. But uh, in the book of John, the book of John is organized through seven statements, seven uh, seven signs and seven statements. And there, it's organized. It's like John took an outline. He was very strategic about what he was going to say. So he took an outline. He said, I'm going to mention these seven things. And the seven things are I am statements of Jesus. So whenever you see Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is pulling the personal name of God and is putting it as a title for himself. So if anyone comes and says, well, Jesus never identifies himself as God. Wrong. Seven times in the book of John, I am. And he's bringing everything about who Yahweh is. He's saying, I am. I am. And God transfers this authority to Moses just like Jesus does to us. In the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's called the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And he transfers this authority onto our life. Let's move to the next one. Exodus chapter 4. Verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? See, Moses has lots of questions for God. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake and turned back into a staff. 
This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. I don't know if I would like this one. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and we took it out. His skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put your hand back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put it back in, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe the two signs and listen to you, then take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Next question, the third question that Moses asks of God is what if they don't believe me? It's a question of my credibility. A question of my credibility. And the feeling behind this is I feel invalid. I feel invalid. And God's answer is, I will show you. And it's this manifestation of miracles that God shows Moses. Two of them are for Moses, for Moses to establish his own credibility in front of the elders, in front of Pharaoh. But the last one is to establish God's credibility because the Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. And so someone to turn the water into blood what was acting on a higher authority and higher power. If you remember when Moses goes to front of Pharaoh and his staff turns into a snake, remember Pharaoh's like, oh yeah? Hey, so my sorcerers come here and they do the same thing. But turning water into blood, that's a whole another story. And so God is showing Moses who he is and showing Moses and giving him credibility. Credibility in your calling is not your ability to prove yourself. It's ability of what God can do in and through you. And God wants to do things in and through you. But let me tell you this. God wants to get the credit. Anything good that happens to you is, is a grace upon your life. And every grace upon your life, God should get the credit, not you. Let's move to the next one. Are you still with me? All right. Jump down to verse 10. So you've got three questions already. Here's the fourth one. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. All right, God's really patient. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It, it is, is it not I, says the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. The next question is this. It's a question of my ability, a question of my ability. Whenever you have a calling from God, we question our ability. I told you up front that oftentimes the calling of God is impossible, and it's impossible because we don't have the ability. But that's exactly what God chooses to do. He chooses people with very little ability, and he gives them his ability. And the feeling behind this is I feel incompetent. Moses' speech is, is interesting because some people think Moses had a stuttering problem. One scholar I, wrote, I read said that it, it could be that Moses has been away from Egypt for 40 years and likely forgot the language of Egypt and likely forgot his own language of Hebrew. He's been with the Midianites. So to be slow of speech and tongue is not, not necessarily to stutter or to stammer or to not know what to say. It's literally a, uh, I've been with sheep too long in the fields and I forgot some of the language 
of the Egyptians. And God's answer is this, I will help you. Literally, literally the the Hebrew reads like this, I will help your mouth. (laughs) Like, I'm going to help your mouth. I'm going to give you the words to speak. And I'm going to whisper them in your ear. And all you got to do is repeat them. That's that's all you got to do is repeat them. I think oftentimes we doubt our ability for good reason. Because we don't have the ability. (laughs) And God wants to give you the ability to fulfill his calling. You've heard it say, said that God does not equip, God does not uh, call the equipped, but he equips the call. Right? He, he, he starts with the calling and he'll give you the ability to fulfill that. Let's keep reading Exodus chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. This is his last one. He's got four already. He's like, and this last one is just like a Hail Mary. This is like, you know, nothing else has worked because God always has an answer for me. And he just simply says this, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I don't want to go. <laughs> right? It's interesting because it's like you can't say no to God, right? It's like God does not allow his people to say no to his calling. God has an answer. And Moses could give an excuse every time, but God has an answer. I will help you. I will be with you. I will fix your mouth. And the last one is please send someone else. And finally, God starts to get a little upset. It says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will both help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. It's like God's saying, there there is no excuse that you can give to get out of what I've asked you to do, Moses. In fact, I've already set up for Aaron to come to you. He's on his way. I've already answered your excuse before you even asked it. This question here is, please someone, someone else, is a question of our own humanity. Please send someone else. Why is Pharaoh... So against going. Well, let me remind you who, who or Moses. I said Pharaoh. I meant Moses. Why is Moses so adamant? Here's why. Because who he's going up against. His rival is none other than Pharaoh. Historians agree that the Pharaoh at the time of Moses was Ramsey II. Ramsey the second. He was put as prince over Egypt at age 14. At age 22, he was commander of the Egyptian army. There is sources outside of the Bible that talk about Ramsey and what he did. He was a military genius. 
He protected Egypt from sea pirates. He did campaigns in Syria and Libya. I mean, he, he, was, like, he was like the gladiator. I mean, he was like, he was this amazing general. But not only that, Pharaoh was also considered to be God. So here's Moses, been out in the desert for 40 years, doesn't speak the language anymore. And God is saying, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to this demi-god. I want you to go to this, this person who has all authority over all of Egypt. And I want you to tell him to let 2 million people go. His slave labor and what makes the country and the economy work in Egypt, I want you to remove them. Oh Lord, please send someone else. You and I would be saying the same thing. And God's answer, or, or the feeling is this, I feel inferior. But, but God's answer is this. His answer is, I'm going to send somebody with you. I'm going to send your brother Aaron. God, God's answer to this, please send someone else, is that your calling is going to be part of a community. That we are never called to do something alone. We're never called to do something alone. We're always called to be part of a community and to do things in community. When you serve at our church, we don't call you a volunteer. We call you a dream teamer. <laughs> and it's a, a, a reason that we, we call it a dream team because we believe everyone should serve on a team and no one should serve alone. We believe that in your calling that you do it with and in community. For, for me, I found my community early on in when I went to school for ministry training, I went to college in Southern California and I met my closest friends and they're still my best friends today and they're all pastoring in different capacities today, but we're all very close. And I, found, I, I knew that when I have problems with my own calling and doubt in my own calling, I can go to them and we can do this together. God wants your calling to happen in community. We never do things alone. God has a call on your life. He's got a call in your life. He calls you to be someone and he calls you to do something. I suspect that some of you here have already received the call of God in your life and you already know and you've already been walking in denial and you've already been given excuses. And it's already been, well, I don't have enough time. I don't have the education. I don't have the money. When I was a youth pastor, we used to do mission trips every single year. And, and the number one excuse is, well, I can't afford it. Well, of course you can't. But as my pastor always said, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. <laughs> and all of a sudden we realize, well, yeah, yeah th th exactly. That's why God asked you to do it, because you don't have the money. See, in our American thought, it's, it's like, well, I don't have the money, so I'm not going to do it. But for God, it's, well, you don't have the money, so that's exactly why I asked you to do it. You don't have the gifts, so that's exactly why. I want to take everything that you aren't and give you something so that you can do what I've called you to do. It's brilliant. It's like, unlike any other faith, that God takes the least likely individuals and he makes them and he uses them for his glory. Every single one of you. None of you are exempt from this if you've said yes to Jesus. God has a call on your life. I want to talk about a specific calling for a moment because I realized that when I was younger, I received a calling from God to be a pastor because somebody gave an invitation or spoke 
spoke to that in a camp meeting when I was 16 years old. And I've always hesitated to do this in our church just because the last 20 years there's kind of been this, this shift to not make the ministry of a pastor more than anything else. So we don't often talk about it. But then when you go to try to hire young pastors, there's not many out there. And, and so I realized that, that at this point, in this moment, that God has called some people. We're all called to unique things. But, but let me just speak for a moment that there may be somebody in this room or somebody listening online that God has called you to a specific task of a pastoral and preaching ministry. And, and one reason I've never talked about this, because when I say call the ministry, I don't want to make it sound that you're not called the ministry, because we're all called the ministry. But there is something unique about the call and ministry to pastor and to teach and to preach. First Timothy says that those who, uh, the, the elders in the church that direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those that preach and teach. I told this to my council and they said, yeah, and you also have double responsibility or accountability. And you're like, you're right. Because those who teach will be judged more harshly. And there are some times where I want to run from my calling. <laughs> but I realize this, I realize that people need to be in here from the Lord on this specific calling to preach and to teach and to pastor and to shepherd. And so I just want to put that out there in you. If that grabs a hold of your heart, if maybe God is speaking to you now that, that he has called you, he's called all of you, but maybe some of you specifically to a role of pastor. And let me be very clear. I'm not just talking to the men in the room. I'm talking to the women too. That God has called you. We believe in the empowerment of women in our church. It's for everybody. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the calling. Lord, I pray that all of us here receive our calling. God, that you begin to speak to us specifically about what you've asked us to do. And I pray, Lord, that there is no excuse that we can come up to to disqualify us. But God, that, that you show us how you're gonna move in our lives and that you give us the tools and you give us the resources and you show us the way. You show us the way, the journey home and finding your way back to God is discovering the call and following the call he has on your life. Don't underestimate the reality that God has called you to be someone and he's called you to do, someone, do something. And if you're like me, you run from your calling it's a natural response. If you haven't ran from your calling, you're probably not called yet because it's impossible. For some of you here, it's time to come home, to come to the reality of the calling God has on your life. Jesus, thank you for giving us a calling, a calling based purely on the fact that you love us and you want to use us. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your name and your name. And everyone said, amen.